0: Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how Christ desires to fill our lives with goodness and kindness and gentleness and peace and unity. We've been looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians in which he is inviting them to to pour out of their lives things that will not fill them with goodness, but instead allow Christ to fill them with something different. We've been talking about that our lives are like a bucket, and each day we have the opportunity to either empty our buckets or fill our buckets, to either fill up the buckets of others or empty them. And so for this, we look at our theme text in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Some of y'all are still thinking, no, that, turkeys are not born that way. I just want to be clear. They were playing a joke on that young lady. Uh, it's okay. It's okay to laugh and, and worship together. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another of any grievances you have against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, and over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, since you are members of one body and are called to peace and be thankful. I'm a little bit of a weirdo, and there's just some social customs I don't get. So take, for example, Jennifer and I have an ongoing debate. If you go to a restaurant and you decide that you want to split what is a very large portion of a particular plate, and then you get your bill and they give you a splitting charge, that's the most ridiculous thing ever. They're not giving you more food for splitting it, They're just punishing you for being healthy and trying to split this huge meal together. There's another social aspect of things I don't understand. So if I give you a gift, social standards say that sometime within the next year, you're supposed to write me a note, drop it in the mail to also say thank you to me. I don't understand it. You told me thank you when I presented you with this wonderful gift. Why do you then need to buy a piece of parchment, write thank you on it in flowery words, stick a stamp on it, and then send it in the mail? I promise that if I buy you a gift, I don't need you to say thank you to me. I'm giving it to you because I love you, but for some reason our social standards say that you have to then say thank you a second time just by putting a stamp on it. You know, when Paul talks about being thankful just how thankful are we like i'm thankful for my beautiful and courageous and clever wife i'm i'm thankful for my my lively and wonderful children i have a brilliantly wonderful fondness for all of you so when paul talks about being thankful just how grateful do we have to be are we supposed to sense that each week each month several times a year a recent study found that 80% of Americans say they feel a deep sense of gratitude once a week. But at the same time, other studies have found that we are more discontent than a generation before us. And the word Paul uses here is eucharistos. It, it appears a few times in the Gospels. And one specific time, it appears, is one of my favorite stories from Luke chapter 17, verse 11. And it goes like this. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was going into a village, and ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out to a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, leprosy is a a terrible disease. It produces scales and inflammation and lesions. Uh, It's a horribly debilitating uh, condition. A person wouldn't want to bathe because of the open sores on their body. It's, it's nerve damage to their body, and so they could soon lose appendages. Eyes begin to sour. And this is such a horrendous condition that on top of being so contagious to other people, you had to deal with the emotional turmoil of being rejected from your home, rejected from your community, and you were even rejected by God, it felt like, because you were not allowed to go in the synagogues and the temple. So leprosy was a, was, they were outcasts uh, physically and relationally and socially and emotionally and spiritually. So 10 lepers approach Jesus and, and follow the social protocol. They stand at a distance and they, they cry out, Master, have pity on us. Their confession is a deep belief that, that Jesus could do something for them that no one else can do. Their pain and the rejection goes beyond words. Therefore, they cry out, Luke writes. I wonder if you can stop and consider and connect with these lepers. Consider the pain and the turmoil that you might be facing in your life. Relationships, work, family, financial struggles, medical issues, the death of a family member, disappointment, on and on and on. What pain do you have in your life that doesn't seem to stop? It's incessant. It's it's a gnawing pain. It feels like the very flesh of your soul is rotting away. What cries out of your soul? And what would you cry out to Jesus right now if you had the opportunity? Look at verse 14. It says, When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priest. And as they went they were cleansed. I found it fascinating that Jesus doesn't waste any time. There's no Bible story to give here. There's no sermon to lay out. There's no crowd to correct over what he's doing. Jesus takes immediate action and restores and transforms these men back to society, back to their relationship with their God. Society and religion might have shoved these lepers to the side, but instead they find that Jesus brings them all in in full inclusiveness. And the lepers' faith in Jesus is sustained in this moment because their, their faith went from just believing into action because it says that they weren't even cleansed yet. Jesus sent them off to go show themselves to the priest as the law of Moses would require. And as they are going out in faith, they are cleansed. This is a beautiful collaborative story of not just believing in God, but taking action in our belief to do what God has called us to do. Do we believe that God can intercede in our lives? And are we willing to take action in that faith? But the story doesn't end there. It ends in verse 15, beginning with, One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus does some uh, quick math on the fly. He recognizes that only one of the ten are standing before him. Jesus sent out the ten to To go live into their faith, to go be cleansed, to be restored back to their community, to no longer have the barriers of judgment from society and from their religion. And we can't blame the other nine. The other nine wanted to feel the full inclusion of this moment, going and kissing and hugging loved ones they haven't been able to touch, maybe in years, going back into the community, shaking hands with friends from their restoration. What these nine did not lack was faith. They had faith. What they lacked was gratitude in the moment. At the church I previously served, we had a wonderful tradition of doing a Thanksgiving meal together on a Sunday night before Thanksgiving. And we all had the turkeys and the fixing. And at the end of the meal, we would stand up and we'd get in this large circle and each person would share something that they're grateful for. And I'm not saying that I'm not grateful for any of these things, but after a handful of people, the same thing was repeated almost person by person. I'm thankful for my wife, I'm thankful for the church, I'm thankful for our troops. Next person, I'm thankful for my husband, I'm thankful for our church, I'm thankful for our troops. I'm thankful for my wife, I'm thankful for our church, I'm thankful for our troops. Each person were going around repeating the same thing they are grateful for really, that's it? That's all the creativity we can muster in our gratitude towards God, I remember thinking. In a world full of stress and busyness and heartaches and setbacks and self-promotion and frustration, it can be difficult at times to pause and to recognize just how much we are blessed. It's really quite simple. In fact, we all know a verse of scripture that can be a daily reminder to us Of just how bountiful God's blessings are. Do you think you could say John 3.16 with me? For God so loved the world that he gave. Stop right there. Did you hear that? For God so loved the world that he gave. Stop. How fascinating. For God so loved the world that God gave. Think about that for just a second. The Greek word used there is adoken, which means to bestow, to supply upon, to reach out, to grant, to commission, or to give to someone asking. How often do we fail to pause and recognize that God gives? The finite details of what God gives and continues to give to us, we'll, we'll, we'll get to in just a second. But we have to pause and recognize the fact that we are created by a God that gives. Now the verse does say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Isn't it fascinating? We are created by a God who loved us so much. The word used here for love is the most powerful and remarkable word of love used in all of the scriptures. This is the love that Paul describes as patient and kind. It's a love that's never arrogant or rude or self-seeking or keeps records of wrongs. It, it, It bears in all things, endures in all things, hopes in all things. This is the kind of love that God has given us. And it's God's profound and unabashed love for us that God gives to us generously. It's a powerful love that cannot be broken or destroyed. As Romans declares, who can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? No, Paul declares, for I am convinced that neither life, nor death, neither angels, nor demons, neither present, nor future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depths or anything else in all of creation, will you be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That is a generous love. It's not a love just for those who are religiously self-righteous. It's a love for those that the self-righteous religious people create those proverbial barriers around. It's a love that God even has for our enemies because they're actually God's children too. And Jesus showed us the radical love of God by the way that he persistently broke bread With the so-called sinners of his day, he touched the lives of the sick and healed the lives of the broken. God loves us that much. That is a generous God abounding in love. And the scriptures here declares that God didn't just give us love, but God gave God's self to us. This is the example we have in Christ that God chose to take upon himself flesh and bone, to walk among us, to feel our pain, to heal our brokenness, to touch our infirmities, to abolish our slavery, to release the imprisoned. God gave us Christ's life, his body and his blood, his presence as the ultimate gift of love to us. And we can't just stop there. We have to consider just how much God gives to us each and every day. As we look throughout the scriptures, we see that God generously gives to us, lifting up humanity by, by serving and blessing and elevating us, not through sheer, the grace that God gives us, but God gives us breath in our lungs, food for our bellies, shelter that we experience each day, God gives us the opportunity to work and to provide. Everything we have, the house, the car, the flat screen, the bank account, the Tempur-Pedic we slept on last night, is a result of God's generosity to us. Are we starting to see that a generous God can't stop giving? God gives us image that dwells within us. God gives us unique gifts and strengths and passion. God gives us a spirit and a soul. God gives us God's very spirit to dwell among us, to live within us, to remind us and empower us of all that Christ has called us to. By God's spirit, we are able to experience such things. Ephesians 2, 4 reminds us that being rich in mercy because of God's great love for us, even despite our brokenness, God has made us alive through Christ. God gives us living water and living bread so that we might not thirst and desire for anything else in our life. God gives us redemption, not condemnation. God gives us light among our darkness. God gives us light to vanquish out the dark patterns of our life and to be beacons of hope in this world to vanquish all such darkness. God gives us eyes to see, but God doesn't stop there. God gives us spiritual eyes to be able to discern what God is doing and where God is leading us. God gives us an invitation into this living thing called the kingdom of God in which we together as co-laborers are doing God's work of transforming this world. God gives us the church, a haven, a community that we all are welcome here despite where we are on life's journey in this space and through this community we are feeling the inclusive nature of God's radical grace and love for us. God is a generous God that can't stop giving. Last month, uh, we went on a short vacation to the Great Smoky Mountain National Park in North Carolina, and I took the girls camping where I had camped every year while I was in college, And I've been to this park so many times, but this was the first time that I had taken the girls to this park. And I took them to Mingo Falls, which is one of my favorite waterfalls in the entire world. You see, when I was in college, we'd hike to the edge of the falls. We'd swim in the pool that collected under the waterfall. We even hiked the trail to the top of the waterfall where you can look over the edge as the water is diving below I've even stood under the water as it bounded down on top of me and me trying to stand up under the power of that water. But, but this time it was a little different. This time I, I cannot go onto these adventurous places around the waterfall because this is when I was bound to wearing a boot for 10 days after I sprained my ankle. And as I reflect on the waterfall, I remember in that moment of watching my girls interact in this space that I love so much, and I took so much joy in recognizing that this was a different station and chapter of my life. And as I reflect on this waterfall, I can see all the different stations in my life where it has been a blessing to me. At times, we, we are, are mere hikers We can hear the blessings of God and that water pounding down on our life from afar. This waterfall reminds me of the generosity of God, of how at times we sit back in full view of the fall and all of its beauty. At other times, we are attempting to stand up under the sheer power of God's generosity that's pouring down on top of us. But no matter the station of life we find ourselves in, the generosity of God doesn't change, just as I experienced with this waterfall. The great priest Thomas Merton wrote, "'Every breath we draw is a gift of God's love. "'Every moment of existence is a grace, "'for it brings with immense graces from God. "'Gratitude, therefore, takes nothing for granted, "'is never unresponsive, is constantly awakening to the new wonder and praise of the goodness of God. For the grateful person knows that God is good, not by a hearsay, but by experience. And that is what makes all the difference in our life. You see, in order for us to cultivate a life of gratitude, we must begin and continue to acknowledge the generosity of God. I want us to to take a moment to and we've looked at the, the spiritual and creative ways that we can discern how generous God is within our life. And beyond all that we've covered, from the generous love of God to the arrival of Christ, from the daily bread to our church community, just consider the things often we take for granted each day. You have family in some form. You have some sort of familial support. Outside of the fact that somebody in this space, hopefully not any of us, could drop dead tonight we can guarantee that we have breath in our lungs for tomorrow. We have access to information and education and advancement, jobs. Even though the fact that 70% of people say they hate their jobs, we still have them. We have at least one good friend, and if you don't, I love you. Am I not good enough for you? We have the ability to think critically. We have the freedom to believe without fear of someone else trying to influence our conscience. Open our closet, and we find drawers and closets full of clothes, clothes, clothes. We have clothes not just for their function, but for their style. Did we mention shoes? We have the blessing of self-expression. Whether you have an iPhone 11 or one provided to you through Jitterbug, we all have a cell phone. Get the sniffles, you have access to minute clinics and urgent care and pharmacies. We have emergency rooms and hospitals all around us. We had the bountiful blessing of coffee, and it comes in 5,000 different options around us, whether it be Starbucks or community coffee or local coffee shops or McDonald's, please don't do that, or Keurig or Home Ground. Got an emergency? You can pick up the phone and call 911, and the police will be there in an instant. Folks, we have so much stuff in our lives. And in order for us to recognize these things, in order to cultivate a life of gratitude, we have to acknowledge and continue to acknowledge just how much we are blessed by God. There's an old hymn that we used to sing in the church when I was reared. The chorus goes something like this. If you need to join me in singing. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. You even have the benefit of listening to me sing horribly. (laughs) See, the ultimate expression of, of gratitude is not just thanking God for what God has given us but it's cultivating a generosity that reflects God. This is why the generosity of God must register on a deep spiritual level within our hearts and our minds and our souls. We must perceive and receive and live into response of God's generosity by being a people of generosity. In the face of a world that consumes and it consumes, Jesus invites us to give away. In a world that tells us to grab for power, Jesus calls us to humble ourselves and to serve. In a system that tells you, get what you want no matter the cost, Jesus tells us to consider the least of these. In a system that declares that you have the right to criticize and to blast, Jesus calls us to do everything without complaining and to be meek. In a world in which we face that's always looking for what is next and better, Jesus invites us into a life of contentment and joy. The only response to God's generosity is to cultivate a generosity that reflects God. Every day, you and I carry around a bucket. It's the bucket of our lives. We have the choice to either empty our buckets or fill it up, to either empty or fill up the buckets of others. Jesus is inviting us to rethink what's in our bucket. Instead of a bucket filled with emptiness and pessimism and lack of fulfillment, Jesus is inviting us to fill our lives with gratitude that comes out of God's bountiful, bountiful generosity to us. As you carry your bucket this week, consider how you might be filled with gratitude. Look to the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus which emboldens us to know God's love for us. And as you carry your bucket this week, consider how you might fill the lives of your neighbors and coworkers and strangers and people very different from you with the generosity that comes from God.